the first two weeks, I would say, since Simchas Torah, uh, I barely learned and barely taught anything. But to the extent that I, the extent that I did any speaking or teaching, it was uh, exclusively uh, related to what's going on. And I've been trying this week, uh, slowly but surely, not to stop doing those things, but to start getting back to uh, the regular schedule of learning uh, and teaching. Uh, I think it's uh, both good for our mental health uh, to not completely and open-endedly uh, be in an emergency, uh, lack of schedule type of intensity the way we were the first two weeks, uh, and it's also an important statement about our resiliency and about the importance of our regular Torah learning. I think it's true for our even non-Torah lives. Just uh, you know, to be in a little bit of a schedule will help all of us, and which was kind of impossible that first week or two. Uh, but even in terms of the learning, so I've been trying to mix the various special presentations I've been giving with also trying to get back to some of the regularly uh, scheduled programming. So I am happy... Uh, that we are able to resume this wonderful shear. And I hope, I hope, schedule permitting, world events permitting, we hope, uh, I don't know when I'm traveling next. Usually the only time we don't have shear is when I'm traveling, but I don't know when that will be anyway. So hopefully we can uh, have a somewhat regular, uh, consistent schedule. And I'm happy to begin today uh, a two-part series uh, on aging and the aging parent. And we'll discuss, today will be a purely uh, hashkafa shear. Uh, and then Mirza Hashem next week, uh, we will speak about some of the halachos of taking care of parents as they get older and how Kibar Ava Aim uh, is impacted and uh, the various challenges uh, of dealing uh, with people as they age uh, in general and specifically when it comes to uh, one's parents. I want to dedicate uh, today's shir, first of all, uh, in memory uh, of my bubby, my mother's mother, and my mother happens uh, to be here, uh, Baruch Hashem, Fege Miriam Bas Avram Abba, uh, Halevi, today is her yurtzeit. So the words of uh, Torah that we share should be in Ili uh, Neshama. And uh, I remember uh, not only growing up with her when she was young and vibrant, but I certainly remember uh, the last chapter of her life. Um, and uh, we miss her very, very dearly. Uh, and I also want to thank the Clappers who are sponsoring this morning's shir in commemoration of uh, the yurtzeit of Tova's grandmother, Yudit Sarah Bas Avraham, who is the namesake of Didi, who also is having her one-year-old one birthday today. And uh, we wish her happy birthday and abstentia, because this little baby who has pretty much been at this year since she was, I don't know, a month three old weeks. or something, three weeks old was her first year that she came to. And now our little girl has all grown up, and apparently she's in Ma'on or something like that, where they take away our children from us and we miss her, and tell her she was asked about in this year. Uh, okay, thank you. I'm sure, will, I'm sure it will mean a lot to her. Okay. This, uh, you'll forgive me, uh, the, uh, the, the source sheet's a little bit uh, out of order, not typically the way I would present things in a, a little bit more of a polished, organized way, only because um, I am embarrassed to admit, but I started preparing this year at midnight last night uh, after uh, some other events that I was involved with yesterday. So even as I was kind of getting notes on the page and thinking about it uh, this morning, I want to change around the order just, just a little bit. Uh, but I want to begin by just... Very, very briefly, very, very briefly, stating the obvious. We have a range of ages of people uh, in today's year, and typically we have a range of ages. Uh, there are people here who are still blessed to have parents uh, alive. Obviously, I'm one of them, Bliayin Hara. Uh, but, you know, it is the nature of things. No one's been able to beat the system yet. In all of human history, people get old. 
And therefore, those of us who are fortunate enough to have parents are now in what has, I guess, been known as the sandwich generation, which we have our own children, and in some cases, some of us already have our own grandchildren. And yet, we're also blessed with our own parents and observing, and hopefully in the right way, helping uh, their challenging journey as they get older. And we bless them to get older because it far beats the alternative. At the same time, we also have people in the room who are themselves or may view themselves, I'm not judging what counts as older, but may view themselves already uh, as older and on a very personal level, maybe have already um, buried and said goodbye to their parents, but are themselves now going through uh, the experiences that we're going to be talking about. And hopefully our presentation will be sensitive to both populations. And I really aim to speak, I hope, on two levels to both of us, those of us who, themselves, who, may, who may ourselves feel that we are aging and noticing uh, decline in various ways, and those of us who have loved ones who are going through uh, that, that same process, even if we may be a generation or so younger than that. So one way of just expressing in the extreme, but you know, the extremes are just good for clarify, clarification. We know that most situations in life are always more gray than black and white, but one way of just in an extreme black and white illustrating um, the challenge, a challenge that inevitably, except for, you know, there's, there's that 1% that we all hope to be in, right? I don't mean the 1% like who's a multimillionaire, although we all want to be that too. But I mean the 1% of people who live till a ripe old age, perfectly, you know, relatively good physical health, clear of mind, and then one day have a misna sashika without any pain. We said goodbye to our loved ones the night before and we don't wake up. I think we took a poll, almost everyone is hoping for that. And maybe 1% of people get that. People die young and unexpectedly. People die older and with a lot of suffering, or a little suffering, physical suffering, the loss of mental capacities. There's, we all, everyone here knows the range of these challenges. But some of that has to do with just the nature of infirmity and sickness in the world. And some of it is obviously connected to uh, the nature of the aging process. Um, and, you know, one way of looking at it, in a, in a slightly different context, uh, Rav Salvechik made this point, um, and I speak, I speak not only to the people who feel that they themselves are in this Parsha, but also those of us who are blessed to have parents uh, in the Parsha, um, and that is that there is an incredible inversion of the parent-child relationship that, if you're lucky enough, eventually has to take place. It's just there's no other way. Which is that when we have young children, especially when we have babies... They are completely dependent on us. We do everything for them. There's then a huge, we hope, many decades where our children are old enough to be independent adults. And we are still in good health, independent adults. It's a completely different relationship. In many ways, deeper and more beautiful. I mean, you can have mutual adults, parallel lives, but with an adult relationship with your children, who you don't only love but like, respect and admire, have real deep conversations with them, experiences, it's incredible bracha. But if our parents and our grandparents and we ourselves are blessed with a long life, that there's usually a third stage in which the roles become reversed and the child becomes the caregiver. Depending on the circumstances, geographical proximity, the nature of the decline of the parent or the grandparent, financial abilities... Sometimes the child is completely the caregiver. Sometimes there have to be other parties, whether it's live-in aids, nursing homes, hospitals that are also playing a role. 
But more or less, even if the parent isn't living with the child, for all intents and purposes, many families go through this process and this cycle where the roles completely become reversed. And instead of the parents taking care of the children, you have the children taking care of the parents. And I think it's obvious, but it still should be said, this is incredibly challenging for both groups. It can obviously be hard on many levels for the child to see your parent in decline. Just the sheer weight of the responsibility, balancing your own children and grandchildren with your parents, incredibly difficult. And I know more than one person in this room has already gone through it. And of course, and here is I speak, I hope, even more sensitively, for the mother or the grandmother, the father, the grandfather, him or herself, to having been for so many years the giver, the one who took care, the one who provided on every level. And now to have a role reversal where you have to be taken care of, that your children have to give to you, they have to take care of you. It's a blessing to have such children. Maybe the greatest blessing. But it's obviously, obviously an incredible psychological and emotional challenge to have to have that role reversal. So wherever we are in the process, there has to be an incredible sensitivity for whoever else is involved. That is to say, for the children, or the grandchildren, and it's not, again, it's not always easy, again, depending on the nature of the personality, depending on the nature of the infirmity or the aging process, it can be, and, and your own children and grandchildren responsibilities, it can be incredibly difficult. And the hope is that the parents have a sensitivity to how hard it is for their children, even as they themselves are struggling. And of course, it's incredibly important for the children, even as they sometimes are overwhelmed with these twin responsibilities, the sandwich of having children and grandchildren themselves and parents, and yet at the same time, to be able to see outside of yourself and say, but can you imagine how difficult this must be for my mother, how, much, how difficult it must be for my father? The ability for each side to be able to see the other, to look out not only within, not easy at all, obviously, but incredibly important for both sides. The only chance for this journey, which again, so far, humanity has never won this battle. So until Tchiesa Meisim, until Mashiach, this is a process that, as I say, almost all of us will go through, ourselves and with our parents. The only way to go through that process successfully, by successfully, I don't mean to avoid the inevitable end of the story. That seems to be impossible. Hashem changes all of history. But successfully in the sense of emotionally intact, with your own emotional health and sanity, with your relationship with your parent or grandparent or your child and grandchildren, not only remaining intact and not resentful, but perhaps even deepening the love as these roles become reversed. The only way that could possibly be successfully navigated is if each side has enough emotional bandwidth to be able to see what the other one is going through, and respect and be sensitive uh, to that. So all of that is kind of an introduction. I want to share, if I could, a few thoughts uh, that are culled from uh, various Gemaras uh, and other sources. Um, I want to acknowledge um, that, well, not all of the sources, and certainly not that introduction, uh, are from any particular book, uh, but Rav Yassi Rimon, who many of you know, who's a Rav in uh, Gushetion area, and a 
a very well-known leading posseik uh, in Israel, and, and a prolific author. So a few years ago, he actually, I've never seen a book like this. He, I'm not sure he's, he may be the first ever to write such a book, uh, but maybe others that I'm just not aware of. He wrote, it's not a huge book, but he wrote an entire sefer in Hebrew. All, I think it's called Eight Zikna. We have it literally on the bookcase right here on the shul. All about the beginning a little bit of hashkafa, and then a lot of the halachos, uh, that relate to this process. A lot of it has to do with, and again, you can tell he's writing from Israel, a lot of it has to do with having a non-Jewish helper in the house and all the halachos that relate to that. He also discusses Kibrava'im issues and sociological, emotional, hashkafic issues. Anyway, I have the book at home myself. We have it in the shul. And some of the sources here certainly uh, come from his sefer, and I'm happy to acknowledge uh, my debt to him. So if you take a look on your sheet, skip down a little bit uh, to the fourth source, it's a one-liner. It says, Gemar Erchin Yotet. I'm sorry, in my rush, I forgot to number the sources. But it's after the big one. Gemar Erchin. Here you have a very striking and almost strident and surprising source. But we have to understand it both in its context and we also have to understand it in a modern context. The Gemara says, in the name of the great uh, Rabbi Chizkiah, that there was a saying. Now again, it wasn't necessarily a rabbinic saying, but it was a saying in their generation. But Chizkiah, one of our great uh, sages, endorses it, I guess, by quoting it. Amri Inchi, people say, Saba Babesa, Pacha Babesa. If the male, if the father, the patriarch, the grandfather, when he's retired, when he doesn't have any more work, when he's just home, Pacha Babesa. What's Pacha? Look at Rashi below. Shever, so to speak. It could break the family. Because a man at home with nothing to do could be a masa, could be a burden. Continues the Gemara. However, safta babesa, when it's the mother, the grandmother, the matriarch who has reached old age and is at home, you know, in a more consistent way, sima babesa. Rashi says, right below that, matmun, it's a kind of almost like a treasure to have babi, to have safta always in the house because she knows how to run the house even in her older age. She was doing it her whole life. And, you know, maybe she's lost a little bit off the fastball, but basically can still do those things. Adkan, the Gemara, with Rashi. Before we interpret it, uh, including the, I'll speak up on behalf of all males, uh, the insulting part of that Gemara for the males, before we get to that, let's take a look at the source below. And this is from the Zohar. And the Zohar speaks about males and fathers and grandfathers who age. It says the Zohar, uh, something, maybe the exact opposite. Saba Babesa, Zaidi, grandpa's in the house. Simna Tava Babesa. It's a good thing. What a bracha. That Zaidi, for all those decades, was out of the house working. Bubby, I mean, Saba, Zaidi, Abba, Daddy. And now is retired, is home, enjoying the old age. It's a bracha. It seems to be obviously uh, a contradiction. And I think, and Rabbi Ramon discusses this as well, I think the two questions, so to speak, answer themselves. Um, one question being, even in the first Gemara, why are we so harsh on the idea of an older man being at home, and retired? But number two is, how do you resolve the contradiction? And the answer seems to be, it's not a contradiction at all, really, um, and it's not really intended to be, in such, I think, heavy terms, gender-based either. The Gemara, and again, you hear this wasn't like Torah Min HaShemayim, it was Chizkiah saying, this is what people say. You know, in our day and age, we might have quoted from some, you know, Benjamin uh, Franklin's Almanac or something like that. It's, it, 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 it's a pithy witticism, and it may have some deep truth to it, but it has to be contextualized. The Gemara, this saying is assuming, and it certainly was more true at different points in history, and it could be still true now, more traditional gender roles. 
in which men traditionally worked out of the house and didn't do much around the house. And women stayed home and took care of the house. In such a case, in such a case, I think it's true, without a value judgment, just to be sensitive, there's no question that if that's the case, retirement and old age are going to affect the person and the family differently, depending on if it's the male or the female. That is to say, if someone spent their whole life and their whole identity as being the breadwinner and being the worker and being out of the house, you take that away from the person, and especially if they didn't until now help her out around the house and do other things, their identity is lost. And it's hard at any age, let alone at an advanced age, to learn new things and to completely change direction and find meaning in completely different activities. And yes, somebody who is directionless at any age, but certainly as an older person, who's lost, doesn't know what to do with himself in retirement, nebuch, that can be a burden on the home and on the family. No question about it. In a similar vein, someone whose whole life was more inner-focused, more family-focused, more home-focused, could also be affected by old age and infirmity. But the transition is not going to be nearly as stark. That's clearly what the first Gemara was assuming. But it's clear, and this I think explains the contradiction as well, that it's not a contradiction, is that it really depends on the person. And Lav Dafka, certainly in our generation, is it a black and white gender distinction. There are many, many men who help out in all sorts of ways around the house and with the family in our generation. I know many great husbands and many great fathers. Not all, but many, 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 many. The overwhelming majority. And there are also true many, 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 many women who work outside of the house. There are even that small percentage of families, even in the firm world, in which the male is the primary person at home. Someone who's not a member of the shul, but someone who regularly comes to some of my shurim. So I just got to know him in the last year, because he ha- he's not really a member, but he comes to one of my shurim that I get for the men. I asked him what he does. He said he used to have a business before they moved to Beit Shemesh. He was in Yerushalayim for many years. I'm not sure if the business didn't go well, or maybe just because he moved to, to Beit Shemesh, he gave up the business. Uh, but now he's basically the primary caregiver of his children. And evidently his wife has a good enough job that they make a living that way. That's an extreme example, but he's not the only one. I, when I lived in Baltimore, there was a woman in, our, in the community. I believe she was an OBGYN, but she was definitely a doctor. And her husband was a stay-at-home father. So those are rare in our community, but they exist. But even in the much more typical cases, right? the reason we don't have 500 women at this year, even though it's good enough, there should be, right? The reason we have 500 women at this year is because lots of women can't come to this year because they're working. And we have, so in both cases, it's not nearly as black and white as that first Gemara described. The world has changed. For better, for worse, it's irrelevant. It has changed. <clears throat> so now you can have women who struggle when their professional life ends. And you can have men who have an easier transition because they were always around the house. They were always with the children and the grandchildren and cooking and cleaning. Right? In my own family, we have males who are the primary cook in their homes. Not me. I'm the primary eater in my home. But... In some families, so it, it, it's not black and white. But the principle we have to be sensitive to is that old age and infirmity, one step by step, again, unless you're in that 1% who until you're 90, whatever, you're fully functional and then... But other than those people, old age 
an illness step by step take things away. And this is just a fact. The more your identity was outside the house, and the harder that's going to be. I think that's an intuitive point. Again, it's not a judgment, but it's something we have to be sensitive to. Sensitive to our spouses. There are people in this room who are married, thank God, but getting older and may have their husband who's at a different stage of his life to be appreciative of what it means to that husband now who can't be the man that he always was. To the children, to the grandchildren. And as I say, there can be many women who go through this experience at this point because may have been working their whole lives too and now can't. Or may choose not to, but still, it's a transition. And it's something that has to be learned uh, and appreciated. One of the points that is incredibly important, and this is really what we're kind of, kind of almost implying, is that just like a person has to, so to speak, learn to be a good wife, have to learn to be a good husband, you have to learn how to be a doctor, you have to learn how to be an accountant, you have to learn how to be all sorts of things. Different stages of life and different things require different things. And learning how to be old is not a misnomer. That's exactly what has to be done. You have to relearn. I don't just mean relearn because, God forbid, somebody had a stroke, somebody has a disease. Of course, then you have to have the OT or the PT and you have to relearn. I mean, just you're different. it's a different life now. Again, for, especially if you're in good health and have a little bit of money, you know, those first stage of retirement can be wonderful. Kids out of the house, hopefully they're doing well, their grandchildren can travel, can do things. But even that's temporary by definition. And even that, no one's traveling every time, no one's going to shows every day. It's a whole new malacha. It's a new life. It's different than that first 40, 50, 60, 70 years of your life. But if you relearn how to ride the bike, how to find meaning, find productivity, so it can be wonderful, it can be beautiful. But it requires relearning, or learning anew, I guess, different skills and different emotional uh, way of looking at the world, way of looking at yourself, in order to be able to, to adjust. You know, many of you know in the laws of tzedakah that the Rambam very famously says there's a whole le- ladder, I believe seven, right, seven levels of tzedakah. And the highest level of tzedakah is when you allow the recipient to actually be independent. Right? If you give that person a job, you help them, right, not, they shouldn't have to be... So I think... Al-Daraf Moshal, and again, for those of us who are at whatever age we are, but we are still children in the room. Right? There are people in this room who don't have parents alive anymore, but there are quite a few people in the room who have at least one, if not more, parents alive. And we have to give to our parents, but we still have to find room to allow them to give. Maybe the greatest bracha we can give our parents as they get older is still allowing them to be the givers. Not to be selfish. On the contrary, it's the greatest kindness you can give them. It may be different. They may not be able to do in the ways that they used to. And maybe that thing they were always so good at and always did, no, they're not so good at it. It's okay. It's okay. If you promise not to let this leave the room, I'm going to tell you a secret. Okay? My father always wash the dishes. Even though he was a man of profession and supported his family, but he was always 
very involved in the home, including washing the dishes. Especially now that they're a bit in our house since three years ago. I mean, since before Shana. We love every minute of it. And especially the anxiety and everything of the last two and a half weeks. He washes the dishes like six times a day now. And I have to read. I have to. I have to rewash about 30% of it. (laughs) On a practical level, probably better if he just wasn't washing the dishes. I'm rewashing a lot of the stuff. But that would be the most cruel and horrible thing I could do. It makes him feel good. It makes him feel useful. It makes him productive. And it's coming from only a good place. Of course. So I have to let him still be a giver. And Baruch Hashem, he's in good health. And he's giving in 99 other ways anyway. But this happens to be his Mishagas. I'll quote to you something that I heard decades ago from one of my rabbis, the great Rabbi Shechter, who said, you have to realize, everybody has Mishagasim. So what makes a Meshuggah? The Meshuggah collects all of Meshuggah. But everyone's got at least one Meshuggah. So in whatever your family is or wherever your person is, you have to know what will allow my parent, what will allow my grandparent to still be a giver and find ways to initiate that. And especially if they're initiating it, even if it's not always easy, and there can be many things that are a lot more important than whether there's still spots on the dishes. The greatest thing you can do, like the Rambam said, the greatest level of tzedakah, is to allow them, as long as Hashem allows it, allow them to still, allow them to still be a giver. Take a look, if you could, at uh, the Mishnah and Pirkei Avos, which I have, I think, on the back page. Turn over for a second, top of the page. And here I want to address Dafka, something that's particularly relevant to being at a shear now, and especially for those of you who may, again, I repeat, I'm not identifying anybody as old. But there may be a few people in the room who identify themselves. And one of the challenges, we all know, even if you don't have a particular condition, is memory. And a lot of times people feel, especially when it comes to learning, like, what's the point? A day later... An hour later, do I really remember what I learned? Is there a point of going to the shear? So say, let's get out of the house and have some structure. But there are a lot of things you can do to do that. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do all those things too. But why do I go to a shear? What's the point of learning? I should start learning Tanakh every day. I start going to a Tanakh shear. I start learning Dafyomi. Like why? First of all, am I even going to finish? You know, I'm X years old. And, and I don't even remember it anyway. What's the point? So this is something that was already anticipated in the Mishnah. Again, initially maybe in a blunt way, but I think the Mepharshim explained it in a more nuanced way. So take a look. This is the Mishnah in Perak Dalit of Perak Yavos, Perak The Mishnah contrasts the intellectual vibrancy of a young person and the challenges, certainly in the memory, for an older person. Elisha ben Avuya Omer, Halomed Yeled Lamahu A child, someone who's in great health and young and vibrant, what is that person comparable to? The Diok Tuva Al Niyar Chadash. It's like writing with you know, brand new ink on a fresh, you know, parchment, 
the ink absorbs in, you know, beautifully into the paper, it's not going anywhere, it's permanent. This is clearly a metaphor, a mushal, for the idea that the young people have a sponge, they absorb everything, and it's worth investing in them and teaching them because they're going to keep it. However, the Mishnah continues, What happens when an older person goes to a shir? An older person opens a safer. An older person tries to learn. You know what that's comparable to? It's taking maybe that same ink, but writing it on a kind of paper in which inevitably and sometimes very quickly, the ink will fade. It won't really be absorbed into the paper. And this is clearly a metaphor for the fact that in one ear, out the other. Because come on, you know, when we're older, if we really remember it, do we really absorb it? What's the point? So take a look at, now, you could just say, you know, this is just speaking hard truths. But our rabbis, and certainly not in we're not cruel. We're not making the point just to rub it in. So take a look at Rabbeinu Yonah underneath. He says, this, isn't, this is intended to, be, to acknowledge the harsh reality, but not just to rub it in, so to speak, but to be a source of encouragement. Al Yomar Hazakein, an older person, a man or a woman, shouldn't say to him or herself, Hey, Nani Eitz Yavesh, I'm withered wood, I'm old, there's no more vibrancy left in me. Am I even going to remember what I'm going to learn? I should learn, you know, you can imagine somebody thinking even, you know, years ago, should I learn about Shemitah? Am I going to be here in seven years? Am I going to be the one making the decision in the kitchen in seven years? That's just an, ex- as an example. Am I, even going to be, am I going to remember it anyway? What's the point? Lama ekra. For nothing, I'm going to, for Hevel, it'll just be pointless for me to put in all this effort. Says Rabbi Yonah, but what the Mishnah is telling us is not Nebuch, therefore don't learn, but despite the challenge. And yes, 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 as you get older, concentration wanes, memory wanes. We all know this. Mikol makom scharo ito. You have to realize that this is beloved to Hashem. And you are rewarded as much, if not more so, than the younger person who's learning. It's not your If Hashem didn't give you a good memory to save your life, that's on, that's on Hashem. And He knows that. You'll get rewarded anyway, just as much. And He gives a very powerful mushal. The mushal actually comes from a medrash in Vayikar and the medrash is, I'll say it outside, to a king or some kind of businessman who had servants in the house. And he gave them a bucket that had some kind of a crack or a hole in it. And he said to fill it up with water. So says the medrash in a very strong language, the foolish servant says, what am I gonna, what's the point? I'm going to bother, I'm going to waste my time. Every time I fill it up, the water just leaks right out anyway. What's the point? But the smarter servant says, what do I care? He's paying me to fill the bucket. I'm going to get paid. So says the Rabbeinu Yon at the bottom. Last underlined part. Okay, so the water doesn't stay in your bucket. Maybe you don't remember. But Hashem's going to reward you. Here's a play on a famous adage, but he tw- makes a twist. Whether you have a better memory or a worse memory. You do your part. Stop playing God. It is not your responsibility to make decisions based on what you think you know about what the future will be. Hashem wants you to live a meaningful life. 
That means chesed, that means davening, that means alagitazachin, including whenever possible to learn Torah. You'll remember more, you'll remember less. You do you. Let Hashem do him. And Hashem will reward us for everything that we're going to do. Rabbi Yonah says this in a kind of a technical way, just about reward, and hey, who doesn't want reward? I'm guessing that the closer you get to when you think you're going to get the reward, it might even be more on your mind. So who doesn't want the reward? I'm not saying anything wrong with that. That's what Rabbi Yonah says. But I heard uh, many years ago also, I think from Rav Shechter in the name of Rav Salavechik, and I believe uh, he may have said it in the name of the Nagon, uh, even on a deeper level, using exactly this metaphor of the bucket with the hole, and that is you have to understand there's two reasons that we learn Torah. There's to know the information. Lahavdil. Like we would learn math or science or any other intellectual endeavor. We want to know the information. But unlike, for example, let's say a doctor. Where the whole point, certainly as the patient, of the doctor, him or her, going to medical school, is that they should remember what they learned when they're in front of me. I don't care what they got on the test 25 years ago. I don't care if they were chief resident. Irrelevant if they don't remember it now. Right? The whole kunz is that they remember it and therefore it can hopefully treat me. And that would be true if I was a mathematician or an engineer. Right? The guy building the bridge, I don't care where he went to college and what number he was in. Does he still remember the science, the engineering? That's all that matters now. That's true when it comes to Torah, partially. Yes, of course, we want to learn Torah to know. Whether it's Tanakh and Torah and the moral lessons, etc. that come from that. Whether it's Torah Shabal Peh, Halacha, we want to know what to do, how to live the right life. Of course we, need, we want to know. But there's an additional second reason we learn Torah. That is because as the Torah is imbibed, ingested by us, as the Torah goes through us, it cleanses, it purifies. In a version of this medrash that I think I once heard in the name of Rabbi Nachman Mibreslov, I think I even heard it in Rabbi Nachman Mibreslov's name before I knew it was a medrash. I thought it was his metaphor, but really it's a medrash. But the way he put it was that there was a king who said, if you could bring this uh, bucket of water up to the top of the castle, you'll marry my daughter, you marry the princess. But each time... They would go, the water would fall out before they could get to the top because the water had, because the, because the, because the bucket has had a crack, right? So most people gave up until one guy did it. He got to the top, of course his bucket was empty. And yet he got the princess's hand in marriage. And because it's not fair, it's not fair, look, the, the bucket's empty, said the king. Did I ever say the goal was to get the bucket full to the top? The goal was to clean the bucket and bring me a clean bucket. Put the water through, it didn't stay in, but on its way out, it cleaned the bucket. And that's the same idea that our Salvechik and the Vilnagon said about this marshal. Yes, we want to remember the Torah, ideally, of course. But whether we do or we don't, the fact that we went to a shir, the fact that we listened to a shir, the fact that we opened up a sefer, Hebrew, English, it doesn't matter. As we ingest the Torah, even if it goes out the other ear, it's purifying us and making us better people in the process. Now, this is chizuk for your 10-year-old child, your 15-year-old grandchild who's struggling in school. It's not an, there are people who struggle with memory or learning at all ages. But it's also an important lesson for those of us who may have been sharp and fierce and intelligent in very impressive ways when we were younger 
And we do slowly feel that ebbing away. But don't say, therefore, what's the point? There's the quote-unquote technical reward that Rabbi Yonah describes, but there's even the deeper sense of personal transformation and elevation by the process of studying Torah, whether or not we remember more, whether or not we remember uh, less. Take a look, if we could turn the page back for a second. This really will, I think, encapsulate a lot of what I've been trying to say. Um, in the bottom two sources on the page. The bottom two page on the front page. The Gemara Bab Metziah tells us something fascinating. Some of you may know this. And if you, even if you didn't know this Gemara, once you hear it, you'll say, oh yeah, Taka, I, I guess that it makes sense. Who's the first old person in history? Now, if you don't know any better, it would be a really good guess to say, Autumn or Chava. They were born first, so they got old first. Says the Gemara, and the second to last source, until Avraham Avinu, there was no such thing as old age. That's almost, was it, almost 2,000 years of human history. And right? Avraham was born in the year 1948. People lived as many years as they did, and then they died. The thing that we all think we want to be the 1%, that was everybody until Avraham. So what changed? Says the Gemara, shocking. Osa Avraham, boirachmi, v'habazitna. Avram davened. He begged Hashem, have mercy on me and let me get old. And Hashem granted his wish. And we know this because about Avram, before, first before anyone else in history, it describes Avram zakain, babiyamim. Avram was the first zakain. Avram was the first old person. But it wasn't that Hashem decided to make a change. Avram begged for the change and Hashem gave it to him. Now, how do we make sense of this? I thought none of us want to get old. Now, we also all may want to live forever. But that's, since the sin of the eight sadas, that's not an option for any human being. So, don't we all want what the biblical personalities had until Avram? Why, why would Avram? Avram didn't have to get old at all. He could have just lived till 800 and whatever, 900 whatever. You know, they lived very long years. Or, okay, by his generation, they were only living to 100 something. But he could have done that and then he could have just died. Why did he want to be old? And it's clear that what the Gemara is in essence implying, and we've you know, been saying this in different ways, is that there's tremendous bracha with getting old. Yes, there are challenges. Yes, there's heartache. Yes, there's pain, physical and emotional. But there's also tremendous bracha. It's a new stage of life which brings with it different perspective, different insight, different way to experience Hashem's kindness to experience family. The Mishnah, on the last verse on your page, makes this point in a slightly different way. Unlike people who are unlearned and wicked, so to speak, where if their whole body, their whole lives, excuse me, was their body and was physicality, so if your whole life was physical, physical gratification and physical goals and physical pleasure, and how strong I am in any which way you want to describe that, so then of course as you get weaker, so then you're left with nothing. Says the Mishnah, on the other hand, Zikhnei Torah. People whose lives are rooted in values. People who have meaningful lives. Spiritual lives. Torah-based lives. Ain't okay, not true at all. El kolzman shemazkinin da'atan mityasheves aleihem. As they get older, that's hard to translate 
literally the words Datan Mityashevet. It doesn't mean you get a better memory. <laughs> the Mishnah was not obscure to the fact that most of us as we get older have a worse memory. But on a deeper, more profound level, the Mishnah is teaching us that with age comes wisdom, comes insight. The, the word zakein, Chazal tell us, is really zeshakana chachma. Now it could be that someone who spent a lot of years going to the weekly shir, a lot of years learning Tehillim, Tanakh, a lot of years during Dafyomi, so it accumulates after 60, 70 years. But it doesn't, it doesn't only mean that, that's for sure. And it means that there's something called Chachma Sachayim. There's life wisdom. And the thing about life wisdom is, there's only one way to acquire it. You can't go to a TED Talk. There's no podcast. There's no online sheer. You can't cheat the system. There's no gimmick. There's no patent. You just have to live. <coughs> and the more you live a meaningful life, the more wisdom is acquired. And this is, I believe, a dual <coughs> message that is so important for both sides of the equation we've been speaking about to internalize. Yes, first and foremost, for people as they are getting older and may feel other things slipping away, to realize that the more they're going through, the more experiences that they're having, the more insight and the more life wisdom that they are acquiring, and the more that they have to offer the world and certainly their immediate family. But this is, in many ways, just as important, if not more important, for the family, for the children, for the grandchildren, to internalize. And it's not always so easy. In every family, there is either Bavi or Zaidi, Saba or Safta, who's repeating the same story again, telling you the same thing again, maybe butting in where you don't always want them to because they know better, and they do, but you don't want to hear it. So for the children who are noticing, you know, mom or dad may not be as sharp as they used to be. And certainly for the grandchildren, or great-grandchildren, it's even harder just because of their age and their maturity. It's harder for them. Why, why should they want to hang out with Bubby or Zadie or have this deep conversation about life with grandma or grandpa? So we have to teach them, we have to teach ourselves and teach them that Hashem is giving you a gift. You have an older grandmother, you have an older grandfather in the family, cherish it. Spend as much time as possible with them. There's so much that you can gain from them. And don't get caught up in the shtuyot. It's almost a universal truth of human condition that certain things are going to be generational. You can't expect someone in her 70s or 80s to like the same music as the granddaughter in her teens. And they start to argue, I do like Hanan Benari. Oh, that's not Yiddish music. Or Judah. When I was a kid! You're both right and you're both wrong. It's pointless. Fashion, music, these kind of things. It's, it's natural for people of different generations to have different opinions. It's okay, who cares? Who cares? But the really, really important things are timeless. Whether it's Torah, whether it's Chesed, whether it's human insight, human nature. And there, to have a Bubby or a Zadie in the family, to have a grandma or a grandpa in the family, to have an older mom or dad or Abba or Ima, 
is the greatest bracha a person can have. The Abra and the Ima, the Babi and the Zaydi need to realize that. That they have still so much to give. Maybe differently than when they were younger. But so much to give. The parents and the children have to realize that. And the grandchildren have to realize that as well. I want to make, if I could, just uh, quickly three more points. Uh, one is if you turn back again to the back page of the... Uh, the Gemara points out on the third source on the back side that there, can, there are two different obligations to teach children Torah. One is from parent to child, based on the Pasuk of Vlimadatem Otam et Benechem, talking about parent to child. But the Gemara very famously on the next page said there's a mitzvah of grandparents of teaching Torah. Kal Malamed is Ben Beno Torah, not just your child, but your grandchild Torah. Ma'wav akasov ki'ilu kiblu mehar Sinai. Now, it's minimum we know the Gemara is saying it's a good thing. It's a mitzvah even. But the Gemara uses a surprising formulation to make what seems to be otherwise a straightforward point. It doesn't just say, just like there's a mitzvah to teach your children, there's also a mitzvah to teach your grandchildren. Gemara says, to teach your grandchildren... If you do that, it's as if you and the child were makabel Torah at Sinai. You were there. I mean, it sounds nice, but where did that come from? What's the point? That's totally not parallel to the first part of the Gemara, which was much more just dry and technical. Yes, there is a mitzvah to teach your children. And if you teach your grandchildren, it's as if you were at Sinai. And what seems to be the point, and this is something that um, Salvechik discussed, I think, many times, in this past Shavuos, I actually taught this piece from Salvechik and our overnight learning, that really what the Gemara is saying is that there's two different goals to Torah study. There are two different ultimate purposes to our educational system. <coughs> and even though they both exist, one of them is more likely to be effective and really the ultimate responsibility, not of the parents, but of the grandparents. The first level of the mitzvah of Talmud Torah is to make sure we have educated children. That they should know what it means to be a Jew. How painful, among the many, 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 many layers of pain of the last few weeks, has it been to see, again, luckily it seems to be a smaller number than it used to be, but just nebuch, the number of Jews in the world who are so ignorant of what it means to be a Jew that they can't even understand who the good guys are. The people, the level of assimilation and ignorance that something like this brought out it's staggering. Again, I believe in Judaism and I believe in world Jewry and hopefully we'll rally and maybe this will be a wake-up call. Maybe this will be, we'll look back, I hope, years from now and this will maybe be like a six-day war which launched the Chuba revolution. And we certainly see that, for example, among so many soldiers. Again, I had the experience myself. I've given soldiers to, to be, uh, to soldiers who never wore tzitzit before. I did it literally yesterday. I literally yesterday gave tzvillin the soldier who said he never wore before. Last week I literally helped put a shell roche tefillin on someone who never put on tefillin before. So what will be five years from now, ten years from now with this generation? We hope, we hope for the best and there's reasons to be optimistic. And maybe even in American and global jury where there seems to be even much more rampant assimilation. Who knows, maybe this will wake things up. But the first goal, which again everyone in this room has done, continues to do, is to educate our children to, be, to know what it means to be a Jew. Historically, halachically, Ethically, Muslim, what does it mean to be a Jew? But there's a second mitzvah of Talmud Torah, that you see from this Gemara. 
that is to connect the younger generation to the Masorah. They should understand that we come from somewhere. That we are a link in a chain of Masorah that goes back to Har Sinai. It's not just that this happens to be a wonderful way to live. It's not just this happens to be a wonderful value system and ethics. Or even that somehow recently there was a prophecy that said, for reasons that we don't necessarily understand, it's good during you know, certain days in Tishrei to shake a palm branch. And you shouldn't mix milk and meat and all sorts of things, which we don't even always understand, but we believe. It's all of that. But it's much more. It's a Masorah, it's a tradition. I've mentioned in other contexts, it might have even been in one of the women's room a few years ago, I can't remember, but I've definitely mentioned in various other contexts that what is so powerful about some of our most consistent rituals is that we know when we're doing them, it didn't just start with us. I've told the story in the past of that the first time my parents came to visit me in my teeny little apartment with my wife in Manhattan, I don't remember how long after we got married, but we were already married a little bit, definitely in our first year. It was the first time my parents were with us in my house, in our house, as a married couple, for a Shabbos. And I was making Kiddush. Not as a little boy who makes Kiddush. But I was the man of the house. And the power of that experience, that now I'm doing the same thing that my father did, who did the same thing as his father did, the same thing as his father did, and his father, and his father. And I've spoken about it again, I think in the context of one of our Shurim Fest whether it's candlelighting or other things, when you're standing there and you're doing that, you're not just doing it because it's a nice thing. You're not just doing it because it's a mitzvah. It's all those things. But you're doing the same thing that your Baba and your Elter Baba and Elter Baba were doing. You're part of a Masorah. Thousands of years. So instead of Salvechik, that's part of what it means to learn Torah too. If you don't have that, you've got maybe half of Torah. You have to understand that. So instead of Salvechik, what the Gemara is telling us is, who's the best person to communicate that? Who can be the most effective at communicating this idea of Masorah? Not the parent. The grandparent. There's unique ability. The very distance that there sometimes can be, just by definition of age. Which can be a weakness in certain things. But here is the strength of salvage. The very fact that there's a generation gap in between the grandparent and the grandchild. And many of you in this room, hopefully, are already blessed or will be blessed with great-grandchildren. Something that the previous generation of Bubbies and Zadis couldn't even have imagined. And now in your generation, and the generation board, now we have great-grandchildren, Baruch Hashem. That make up a word, they call it Nin. Unbelievable. So the more distance there is chronologically set up salvagic, the more ability there is to hopefully convey this sense of Masorah. That you're part of something bigger. And it's also the parents' responsibility to try it. The Rebbe's responsibility to try. But no one can do it as good as a grandparent. Only about a grandparent does the Gemara say. That when you teach Torah, it's as if you were at Harsinai. So yes, are there challenges of getting older? Of course. But what opportunities? And what, and what a bracha? Because it's late, uh, I'll forgo one or two of the sources that I was going to share with you. Uh, and I just want to end uh, with the following. And uh, we'll, we'll skip to the, if you turn over the page, on the back page, just the last two sources, Pesukim and Tehillim, uh, which even if you don't know, didn't know they were in Tehillim, uh, you hopefully will recognize them anyway. 
There's two different psukim, about uh, 20 uh, chapters apart in Tehillim. The first one, Al Tashlicheni Milfanecha, Veruach Karchecha, Al Tikach Mimeni. Don't, we ask Hashem, please, don't throw us out from in front of you, from your presence. And your spirit of holiness, Ruach Kachacha, don't, don't take away from me. And then 20 chapters later, we say, and Dovr Melch writes and tell him, Kochi is the way it's written in Tehillim. I just made the mistake that I wanted to tell you not to make. As I get older, and I lose my strength, I lose my strength. Physically, I'm not as strong as I used to be. Don't abandon me. Now, of course, the reason I made the mistake that I made, and the reason hopefully you're all familiar with this, is because these two psukim were adopted as part of Avinu Malkeinu. Many shuls, including this one, have been saying Avinu Malkeinu every day since Simcha's Torah, twice a day, Shachar Semincha. Different shuls are, other shuls are not doing that. It's fine. Whether you are or you're not, that's not the point. But we're familiar with this. And like so many of the different lines of davening, the last two weeks, certain things jump out of you that may never have jumped out of you in the same way. I can tell you personally, in, in, to some extent, a large extent even, Avinu Malkeinu in certain specific lines have been my most powerful davening the last two weeks. The second half of Avinu Malkeinu talks about protecting our children, talks about people who were shechted al Kiddush Hashem, who were burned al Kiddush Hashem, things that until two weeks ago I, if I thought about it at all, I was thinking about the Crusades, maybe I was thinking about the Holocaust, and now is contemporary news. I mean, it's like twice in the last two and a half weeks, and it may be the first two times in my whole life I don't remember, twice I completely fell apart audibly crying during davening. I think it may be the first two times that ever happened in my life, and it certainly has only happened twice in the last two weeks. And both times were in Avinu Malkeinu about the lines I just described. But the lines that we just read about are also powerful in the context of our shir. In, t- in Avinu Malkeinu, instead of saying, Kichlos kochi, we say Kichlos kochenu. We make it plural. We know all of our brachos, all of our davening, we speak in the plural. But it's based on these two Tehillim. Why the redundancy in Avinu Malkeinu? Why the redundancy in Tehillim? So I think this is not something that, I mean, if you think about it, I think it's almost obvious in Pshat, but I think the reason I have this thought as I think Rev. Ramon in the Sefer I quoted at the beginning of the year, I think he quotes this idea from his father. And it really touches on everything we're talking about in the year. The first thing we say in Avinu Malkeinu, the first pasuk here, Al Tashlicheni Milfanecha, Baruach Kachcha What's the focus? Not our physical strength, not our physical health, but Ruach Kachcha. Don't take that away from you. What's Ruach Kachcha? Ruach Kachcha. It's a very vague and amorphous, uh, sublime kind of phrase. But basically, what it's clearly referring to is the life of the spirit, the values of ethics, of spirituality, of all the things that are really important in life. Someone wiser and older than me once made the point, although I've often quoted it in different contexts, the most important, if you think about all the most important things in life, they're the things you can't touch or can't hold. Love, courage, all sorts of things. You can think of them, not just including religion, but I don't limit it to religion. The most important things in life are not the physical things. We all know that. So we're saying, says David Mach, first and foremost, Hashem, as I get older, Ruach Kachacha al Tikach Mimani. 
Don't take that from me. Allow me to still hopefully have a meaningful life. Allow me to still be able to do the things which bring meaning and ruach kachacha, your spirit. Allow me to live that. Maybe I can't go to shul as much as I used to. Maybe I can't do this as much as I used to, as well as I used to. But we're not prioritizing the physical part. We're saying, even as I may be physically waning, but allow me to still have a meaningful life. And then we say afterwards, al And even independent of that, maybe when I will lose that. And as I said, it's, unless you're one of the 1% who is fully cognizant and strong until the very end, everybody at some point, whether it's initially a cognitive decline, or whether it's physical debilitation, which eventually allows you, because of the medicine or the treatments, you can't intellectually be part of the things you used to be. Everyone eventually has that experience, unless they're part of that 1% who dies the, the magical death. So says David Amelech, and we say in Tehillim, even as we may lose that, we may lose the ability to have the meaning in our lives. We're losing our strength. Now he is talking about the physical. We pray, Hashem, please don't abandon me. Just like as children and grandchildren, we take care of our parents, our grandparents, even when they can't take care of themselves. So we daven ourselves. Even if I can't do all the things for you that I want to do, even if I can't do all the things I always used to do, don't abandon me. Please keep me near. Take care of me. At different stages of our life, these things have more and less impact. But in terms of the context of the Shia we're talking about today, I think these are some this, this duality is really, you know, very much reminiscent or reflects, I should say, the point we've been making throughout the Shia. That yes, there are obvious challenges and difficulties and frankly pain. Why would anyone deny that? To getting older, for the person getting older, for his or her family. But there's also tremendous opportunity and tremendous bracha. And like everything in life, when we're young and when we're old, we need Rachmei Shemayim. The only difference between being young and being old is when you're older, you know that. When you're young and dumb, you're willfully ignorant and you pretend that you can do it on your own. But everybody needs Rachmei Shemayim. The Zokein is just smart enough to know that. And that's in our Tehillim, that's in our davening. We pray, we pray, Hashem should give us all Rachmei Shemayim. Those of us who are younger should continue to have the blessing of having older people in our lives and the ability to help them when they need to be helped, take care of them when they need to be taken care of, and allow them to keep their dignity, to be able to still give to us the way they did for so many years. And those of us who are getting older, we pray for a different kind of Rachmei Shemayim. Hashem should, as long as possible, allow us to have a Chaye Ruach, to have a meaningful life, to be able to contribute, even if it's differently than we always did, but contribute to our families, to our communities. And if and when inevitably that time comes where we can't even do that, we pray, Hashem, don't abandon us. It's like we would want for our spouse or for our children to be there with us even when we can't do for them. Avinu Malkeinu, we say, Hashem, please, please, for your children, please don't abandon us. Okay. Next week, we will flip the script a little bit and speak about the halachos of taking care of older parents.